Welcome to All The Things Podcast. I'm Regina Lawrence, your host. I'm a lawyer turned soulful business strategist and transformational mindset coach. I'm also the founder of the community, All The Things Business. I've created a community of women who can truly be all the things, successful, spiritual, sexual, and wildly unique, all while creating a life of purpose and passion according to our own rules. We don't have to look or be a person that societal norms dictate anymore. We don't have to play by somebody else's rules. We can be whoever we want to be, and that person can be all the things in one. Each week, I'll bring you episodes where we dive deep into business, entrepreneurship, and a whole host of topics to help us dive into who we truly are so that we can really be all the things. Welcome to my podcast. Hey guys, I know that starting a business can be really complicated, confusing, scary, and there's so many moments when you're starting your business or when you're pivoting your business, you feel really, really confused and like you have no one to talk to. I totally understand that because when I started my coaching business, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I tried a million things and I would hit dead ends and I would just try and try and try and try. Luckily, I was able to figure it out, but I had to take the long way. And that is exactly why I am the business coach that I am, because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried all of the things, and I know what works in creating, scaling, and pivoting your online and coaching business. If you are needing a friend, if you are needing a coach and somebody to hold your hand through this crazy process of growing your business online, schedule a free 30-minute virtual coffee chat with me. Go to my website, reginalawrence.com, and click Schedule a Virtual Coffee Chat, and we can hop on and talk about one particular issue in your business that you are struggling with right now. And by the end of that 30 minutes, I promise you that you will have a solution. Once again, it's www.reginalawrence.com, and click Schedule a Virtual Coffee Chat. I cannot wait to talk to you and help you unravel anything that you are struggling with in your business right now. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of All The Things Podcast. I am your host, Regina Lawrence. And today we have a special treat of a guest, Dr. Morgan Anderson, who is a clinical psychologist and also a coach. So Dr. Morgan Anderson is a clinical psychologist and relationship coach. She's also the host of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast and the creator of the ESL Relationship Method. Dr. Morgan helps women break the toxic dating cycle, raise their self-worth, and attract the healthy relationship they've always wanted in her eight-week relationship coaching program. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Coaching. Just make sure you go over there, check her out, say hi. Tell her that you heard her on the podcast. Her website is www.drmorgancoaching.com and her ESL program is on that site as well. In this episode, we talk all about how Dr. Morgan decided to become a clinical psychologist and then how she pivoted from clinical psychology to coaching. And something I'm excited for her to share with all of you is she really explains the distinction between psychology and therapy versus coaching, because I think sometimes people get confused on what the differences and the nuances are. We talk all about her specific niche in coaching, which is helping professional women break the toxic cycle and attract loving relationships. We talk about why we as women 
especially women who are just like so intelligent and to the world have it all together, keep repeating the cycle of the toxic relationship. We talk about one of her areas of expertise, which is attachment theory. And she explains to us exactly what attachment theory is, how it affects our ability to connect in all types of relationships. She explains the different types of attachment theory, how they can manifest in romantic relationships. And then at the end, she talks quite a bit about how we as entrepreneurs and business owners can use the knowledge and the understanding of attachment theory to better connect to the people who are working with us. If you love this episode, please go over, check out Dr. Morgan's profile at Dr. Morgan Coaching. Literally, you could lose yourself in attachment theory information. She is a wealth of knowledge. She's so lovely. You will absolutely adore her. And if you love this episode, please take a screenshot, share it in your story, tag me at Regina A. Lawrence and tag at Dr. Morgan Coaching. If you really love this episode, it would make me so happy if you go over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Love you guys. Much love. I hope you love this episode as much as we loved making it for you. And I'll see you next week on the podcast. So today on the podcast, we have my friend who I became friends with through Instagram, Dr. Morgan Anderson. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Shout out Instagram for making new friendships. Wonderful place to connect. I feel like all of my friendships, like my virtual friendships and podcast guests have come from from Instagram, from just like finding and stalking great women on the internet. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I, okay, real quick. You're also on Peloton, right? I am a new Peloton rider. I, we need to be friends on there too. (laughs) I've been cheating on Peloton a little bit because there's an F45 gym. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah, for sure. There's an F45 right in my apartment complex. And I signed up for an unlimited membership. So I've been like going a lot because like, if I'm not there for a day or two, they're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm not being lazy. I was on my Peloton. I was on my Peloton at home. (laughs) Yeah, Peloton friends. I love it. I love it. I love that. Um, Okay. So I want to go back to the beginning ish. You are a psychologist turned, you're still a psychologist, but you also are doing a lot in the coaching realm. How do you make the decision in your life? What led you to the place to want to become a psychologist? Yes. So I knew early on, I remember even as young as like six, seven years old, being on the playground. And I was the girl who just wanted to have one-on-one conversations with the other kids and like learn about their lives. Like, I don't want to go play. I just want to learn about you and hear your story. Um, So as soon as I figured out that I would be able to be paid to do that, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. And that was as early as middle school, people would ask me and I'd say, oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. So it it came really, really early for me. And it sounds like it came really naturally to like sit and hold space for people and ask questions and listen. Yes. And I, I will say like a lot of people who get into this field, I definitely had some childhood trauma and had some things happen early on that kind of helped me develop the skill of really tuning into my environment and really knowing what's going on for people. Cause I kind of had to learn how to do that. So 
like many people who are in mental health, definitely came with a background of my own personal struggle and um, trauma. Totally. In your early life or before you became a psychologist, did you actually work with like a psychologist or a therapist at all? I did. So I, I remember I went to some psychologists as a young kid, even as early as like eight years old. Um, and I remember there was really good ones and there was ones that were not so great. Um, and I learned a lot about, well, Hey, the people who are really present and I really feel like they hear me, those are the people who are really great. So, um, also my aunt, my aunt Bonnie, she's actually been on my podcast. She is a therapist. Um, and early on, I kind of got to see her work and look up to her as a role model. So. That's awesome. Then yeah. how did you, or why did you decide to make a shift from psychology into doing, into more of the coaching space? So the road to becoming a clinical psychologist is not easy, right? There was, um, you know, I did at least 12 or so years of college. So 12 years of being totally broke and um, really, really struggling, uh, in terms of the workload and just all, all the things that go into it. If you've been in grad school, I, I know you have girls, so, you know, totally. Yeah. totally a struggle. Right. Um, but I, you know, did my postdoc at UCSD and I was working at a college counseling center there and it was great. I, I enjoyed the work, um, but I could feel myself getting burnt out already like not even licensed yet. And I'm already getting burnt out. Um, and then I joined a group practice in La Jolla. If you've been to La Jolla, you know, dream location, amazing people to work with. I loved what I was doing. Um, and, and I was starting to see anywhere from 20 to 35 people a week. Wow. Okay. So if you can imagine that's like 35 hours of one-on-one holding space for people. Yeah. You were exhausted, right? I was exhausted. And I, at that point, I didn't make any space for dating, which is hilarious. Cause you know, I'm like a relationship coach and I was doing all the things that I tell my clients not to do. I was totally burning myself out, not prioritizing myself. Um, and it got to the point where I noticed I had compassion fatigue, which if you're a health provider, you know, where you're just like, I just don't care. Like I'm sitting with people. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And that was a huge red flag. Yep. So, so part of it for me was the burnout and I had so much resistance because imagine this is a lifelong dream. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. I'm in this amazing practice in La Jolla that people would kill to be part of. And I'm freaking burnt out and I don't like my life. Yeah. I so and- identify that. Yeah. I was so resistant to it, not to mention that, you know, like I had heard of coaching, but all of the times I'd heard about it, it was psychologists kind of using it as a dirty word, kind of like, who are these people who think that they can just call themselves a coach and charge a bunch of money and they don't have degrees? Like, what is this BS? Like, it was just a bunch of looking down on it. So so there was a period of time where I knew I needed something different, but I didn't know what to do because okay. I was so resistant. Um, but then the other thing that I started to realize 
is that, you know, I love therapy. However, I was so drawn to helping people actually make change Mm -hmm. and really up level to this next version of their life. And I didn't feel that therapy was always the best vehicle to do that because I would help these women get amazing awareness around why they're dating the same guy over and over, why their relationships are terrible, but then they wouldn't know what to do with the awareness. Mm -hmm. So I started to see the gap there of like women need a roadmap, you know, they need, they need to know what to actually do. Okay. So between being burnt out, seeing the gap, thank God I had a friend who was in the coaching space. So I could kind of like see it being done and see that it's possible. All of that together. I just said, I'm doing it. I'm just, I'm, I'm starting a coaching business. And how long ago was that, that you had the realization that you were going to do that? So this was in 2018, but I started out so slow. I literally, I remember I took on one client and I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like (laughs) this might go terribly. (laughs) So it started out so small and I was just doing one-on-one and, um, you know, I, the, the crazy thing was though, is I was my own worst enemy in this because I was thinking like, can I even do this? What are my colleagues going to think of me? It wasn't this traditionally respected thing. I would have like nightmares that somehow the board would find out and it was illegal, right? Like I had all of these like BS stories in my head. So I kept myself at a very, very small, I wouldn't even call it a business. It was like a little, little side income, you know, it wasn't really a business. What helped you shift your perspective from being in a place of fear and scarcity to being like, no, I can actually really do this thing. What started to really shift for me as I realized it wasn't about me. And I realized that people were getting a ton of value out of what I was teaching and the content I was putting out and that people needed the work that I was doing. So the the minute I stopped thinking about all my own stuff and just focused on serving people, you know, I was able to, to make the full leap and kind of make it a real business and invest in business coaching, the most money I'd ever spent on anything in my life, getting a business coach. Mm -hmm. I think too, like I think back to my own transition from practice to coaching and I had the same fears that you did. I was like, what are people going to think of me? What are my colleagues going to think of me at work? Like somebody leave practicing to do this coaching thing And I, it was the same thing as you. I was like, it's not about you, Regina. It's about the people that you're serving. And then I did the same thing you did. I have invested more money in coaching and masterminds and programs than I ever thought possible, but that's what helped me change and shift. When you'd make that investment, then you just show up, right? You're like, well, this has to work out. Yeah. I have to show up for this thing and it has to work because I just invested $15,000 in this thing. (laughs) Yes, girl. Yes. Oh my God. It was crazy though. 
it's like, I think when I was so caught up on what other people would think, I would almost like seek those people out. Have you ever realized that? Like I would get DMs from psychologists telling me that what I was doing was illegal. Mm -hmm. It'd be like my worst fear come true, which by the way, it's not. No, it's interesting. Yeah. I, well, it's funny because I did a deep dive into the difference between coaching and like being a therapist. Yeah. Because when I started my business, I was doing a lot of stress and anxiety coaching with high performance Mm. like myself. And so I was like, oh no, like, am I crossing the line? Like, am I doing the right thing? Like, and whenever I would worry about it, like, you know, fucking Sharon, the therapist would DM me and be like, and like, and then I call my friends who are therapists and coach and I'd be like, am I crossing a line? Would you tell me if I was crossing a line? They're like, no, you're coaching people. You're not therapizing people. Yes. Let's talk about that. So people can kind of understand Yeah, I would love for you to explain the difference between being a psychologist and being a coach. What what are the differences? So one of the things people don't realize is that, you know, as a psychologist, when you're meeting with someone, you always have to have a DSM diagnosis. Okay. So you are clinically determining what their symptoms are and giving them a diagnosis. Whereas in coaching, we never do that. Right. The, the diagnosis is not part of coaching. What does DSM stand for? Oh, the diagnostic and statistical manual. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's on the fifth version. So it's the DSM five. Okay. Um, and when you're a psychologist, you have to use the DSM to even be able to bill, you have to have a diagnosis. It's just required. You would never meet with somebody who didn't have a diagnosis. If they don't meet criteria, you're not going to meet with them. Okay. So I think one thing to think about it or to, to frame it in your mind is that a lot of times psychotherapy really is about the treatment of a disorder. It's the treatment of something being wrong in your life. Like you're really, really struggling. Um, and coaching is, Hey, I see where you're at right now. You're actually doing pretty well, but you want to get from point a to point B. Yeah. And if some, if, if somebody came into my coaching business. And I felt like, wow, they are clinically depressed. They're meeting criteria for, you know, a depressive disorder. They wouldn't be a good fit. Mm-hmm. So okay. I, I think another way to think of it too, is like with, with psychotherapy, there's always going to be this goal of being a highly functioning person and just returning back to like baseline. Whereas with coaching, it's this idea of, Hey, you want to achieve this goal. You want to get to this level. You're going above baseline. You have this thing that's missing in your life and you need a roadmap. You need a how to, I'm going to coach you on it as, as psychologists, it's in our ethics code to never give advice, Mm. right? Like, and as coaches, we give a lot of advice. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just a whole different way of working. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one way I like to think of it is like psychotherapy helps you understand where you're at on the map and how you got there. Like, this is my location. This is how I got here. And then with coaching, it's okay. You're here, but you want to get here. Here's the map. Are you still working as a psychologist as well as a coach or are you all in just coaching at this point? So this was the hardest thing for me. All of my shit came up when I was trying to do more coaching um, because it's this identity, right? The psychologist identity. Totally. (laughs) So I had the hardest time. I, there was probably six months where I should have cut down my caseload, but I just didn't. So I was working full-time coach and, you know, owner of my business and full-time psychologist. So that was wild. (laughs) (laughs) But I can tell you this, like currently I have um, just five psychotherapy clients that I meet with. And a lot of them are people I've met with for years. And And is the plan moving forward to eventually not be doing any therapy or you might still have a couple people? The kind of therapy I really actually enjoy is couples therapy because it's so interactive and I love everything that goes on in the room. So I'll probably always make space for a couple of couples. Um, But no, in the long run, I mean, I definitely don't need the income. Um, And I make a bigger impact when I can serve a lot of people at once versus that one-on-one hour. So my big focus is to keep making an impact in group coaching and coaching many people at once. I love that. And the focus of your coaching, as you have it on your Instagram, is that you help professional women um, break the toxic cycle and attract loving relationships, which is such an incredible niche as a woman who I think about, I mean, I am a professional woman, but I think about my professional life when I was in practice Mm -hmm. and the toxic cycles that we get into it's interesting because it's like the smartest most quote-unquote most successful women and yet we end up in these toxic relationships over and over again yeah it I see such a need for it right and I think I think one of the things that happens is this belief that if I'm just successful enough or I'm just good enough on my own Mm-hmm. Um, that either I don't need a relationship or then I'll finally be good enough for a relationship. So yeah, I see a lot of successful women that are not attracting the love that they deserve and it breaks my heart. Right. Well, it's also like, I feel like that personality of woman and I am that personality of woman mm-hmm. is like, when I do that thing, then I can be rewarded. When I get to that place, yeah. when I get that promotion, when I'm, I have a really good friend, she's a professional badass, and she's like, well, no, I need to lose more weight before I can get on Tinder. Like, and a lot of have that mindset. It, it, I actually just did a live with my women about this because I I get so fired up. Like you cannot put a condition on, on your worthiness. You are worthy of a relationship as you are. It's such a lie to put your physical appearance or your career as a condition but we do it so often. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we're the, the thing specifically saying when I get that thing, when I do that thing, when I become that thing, 
then I'm worthy of the relationship. I see it as a couple. There's a couple different reasons why that can happen. Um, I think definitely if we look at your relationship blueprint and if early on your caregivers didn't give you attention and they would only reward you when you were successful. So that blueprint kind of develops of I have to achieve in order to receive love. Totally. So there's that piece. The other then, and this one's interesting. It's a little sneakier. Um, sometimes we will think that, okay, when I get there, when that thing happens, we'll actually use it as like a avoidant technique or a distancing technique to not be vulnerable. And we just keep putting it off. Uh That makes sense. I, when I think of my blueprint, I was somebody who I have a big, I'm from a big family and like the way that I could get attention was to be like the perfect achieving child. So like, Mm -hmm. look at me, look at the good things I did, you know? And I think that's where it has come from for me, for sure. Yeah. So many people have that, have that experience. And I think the sad thing is, is when we're putting that energy out there into dating and we're saying like, Hey, look at me, like, look at all these ways that I'm good. We actually kind of attract people who are more superficial and like, look at those things versus people who are accepting us unconditionally and as a whole human. So that's why it's like, why, why do I keep dating assholes? It's like, well, you're putting conditions on your worthiness. Yeah. And you're attracting that into your, into your life. Yeah. So something that you talk about all the time on Instagram, and I've told you this, that I love so much is you talk about attachment styles. And I see a lot of different people starting to talk about this more and more, but I feel like you're doing such, such an excellent job explaining it, bringing up the different questions and issues around it. Will you explain to the listeners what that means, what attachment theory is? Yes. And, and I know this could go on and on. So I'm going to try to make it like (laughs) short and sweet. Um, so attachment theory is really the study of looking at how your early experiences in relationships have shaped your current, um, way that you go about relationships, right? Like basically your early experiences and how they impact how you show up right now in love. So a lot of people remember Psych 101. They talk about um, Mary Ainsworth and John Bowlby. They talk about attachment theory. They originally studied that with baby monkeys. Um, And what they realized is that when they would take the mother away from the baby monkeys, Mm-hmm. they over any other form of reassurance food anything they would want a terry cloth because it was the thing that reminded them the most of their mothers interesting okay so that's just one piece that always kind of stood out to me it's this idea that as humans part of our survival is our connection to our caregiver or to our person in a romantic relationship, right? Like that is your reassurance in life. Um, so we, we need others. Yeah. 
And attachment theory really applies to all relationships, but we certainly see the patterns clearly show up in our romantic relationships. And what are the different attachment styles that people can develop? Yeah. So a lot of these, um, I I guess what I want to say first is that everyone can have traits of each attachment style. So just because I mentioned one, you think, oh yeah, that's me. You may also have some traits in another. So I kind of like to think of it on a spectrum. So that's my, my caveat. Um, so we have anxious attachment, which this is you, if you need reassurance, if you're someone who's like, oh, he hasn't texted me. It's been eight hours. He hasn't texted me back. And then you start to notice that you have fears that he's no longer interested or the relationship's going to end. These are people who worry a lot about the relationship no longer being there. Okay. So a high need for reassurance and the fear, the way I like to think about this in a nutshell is the fear of abandonment outweighs the desire for me to be myself and get my needs met. So, so not being abandoned is more important than honoring myself. So then we have avoidant and avoidantly attached folks kind of get a bad reputation. Um, sometimes they get confused as narcissists. It's totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Avoidantly attached folks really struggle with intimacy. They really struggle with closeness when they're close to someone, all of their fears come up about they're going to disappoint the person or they're not good enough. So they find a lot of ways to distance themselves. This looks like having a great date with them, but then they don't text you for two weeks, you know, like they'll totally disappear. So they use a lot of distancing strategies and they, they need a lot of alone time. And then there's disorganized, which is this lovely combination of both anxious and avoidant. And this one is maddening to, to women. I get a lot of disorganized women who I work with and they're like, I just can't take it anymore. It's where you like, never know what your strategy is going to be. Am I going to be distant or am I going to be anxious? Oh my gosh. I, I know that I've done that so many times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we have secure, right. And secure is where you value yourself and you value the relationship. And you know that yes, a partner adds to my life, but I also have a secure base within myself. Um, and you're able to effectively express your needs and you're, you're comfortable with intimacy and you overall experience really healthy relationships that add value to your life. So all of us want to spend as much time as possible in secure attachment. Yeah. Like as you're explaining each of them, I think about different points in my life where I have fallen into each of those categories with different people. Like growing up, I would say I was an anxious, I was very anxiously attached, but I also grew up in a family of addicts and I was like the codependent caretaker. So of Mm. course I was anxious. Um, And then when I've been too smothered by somebody who was like so into me, I would become avoidant. And then I've also been in relationships where there's great communication and it's simple and there's a great dynamic and I'm very secure. 
It's so true that depending on the relationship and the partner you're with, different styles will be more prominent for you. It's also interesting too, because I think about attachment style and um, intuition. So Mm -hmm. the relationships that I would get anxious in and I'd be like, oh no, like what's happening? Um, A lot of times intuitively, there was actually something going on that I was feeling that wasn't being said. Like they were cheating on me and I was feeling anxious all of a sudden because there was something else happening. This is a really good point. I always want people to know that these styles develop out of survival, right? Like if having a secure connection and secure base is part of us thriving as humans, like these different styles are just ways of being that are developed for survival. Um, so yeah, like knowing that the anxious attachment is there and it's just trying to help you. Right. Um, and being able to listen to it, it's, it's true that it can certainly be connected to intuition. What do you think if you're, if somebody is listening to this and they identify as someone who's anxiously attached, I feel like a lot of the women I know tend to fall into anxious, um, how do we start to, to change that or to work on that or help ourselves? Talk to me about the program. <laughs> That's like, um, because here's the thing, like people will try to get all kinds of strategies, but it, you and I know it's such an internal shift. But, but one of the first things I would say is you need to be able to work on self-soothing and really healing your relationship with yourself and raising up your self-worth. Yep. Because if you're prioritizing, right, like I don't want to be abandoned, you're prioritizing that over you getting your needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just going to keep setting you up for failure in, in relationships. So you need to get to a place where you're prioritizing you, you're prioritizing your needs and you're comfortable with expressing boundaries or expressing, Hey, this really isn't working out for me. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I love that answer because I, it's not just one thing that you can do. There's not like a, here's the checklist of how to quote unquote, fix this thing. It, it takes a lot of, it took a lifetime to get to develop a, a certain attachment style. Yes. So it takes, I think about myself, like I've done so much work. I've worked with therapists. I've worked with, with coaches. And even now I get triggered by things and I have yeah. to say, like, what is real and what is not real and like do like deep self work when that happens. So true. I, I think that it's funny um, that you say that because I actually have a practice that I call reality testing that I teach the women in the program. And it's all about, okay, how can you check in with what's real and, and what's not? Um, and also self-compassion and really, really having so much compassion for that anxious attachment when it comes up and saying, Hey, this was a skill that you used earlier on in your life. And at one point it was really helpful and it's what you needed to do to get your needs met. And it's no longer serving you. We don't need to have this 
anxiety anymore. Right. So having compassion instead of judgment, um, when you, when you have an anxious attachment spiral come up. I love that. You just said that my favorite therapist that I worked with Nate, I worked with Nate through law school and he, you know, I was working through a lot of my childhood and a lot of my life stuff and a lot of my anxiety. And he was like, Regina, that served you. You that enabled you to do the things you've done to be successful, to get through your childhood. It served you. It doesn't serve you anymore. Exactly. Identity. And that was like the most beautiful breakthrough. And I think about that all the time. when like, I get hard on myself about the way I am. I'm like, no, you lived your life a certain way and it served you to get to this point, but it doesn't anymore. Such a powerful shift when you can really realize that and internalize it. Definitely. And I know people are going to have so many questions about attachment theory. So I don't know if we actually said this out loud, but Dr. Morgan has a podcast, Let's Get Vulnerable. And she talks about attachment theory so much. And if you connect with her on Instagram, you can DM her, you can ask questions and she pulls from, you pull from questions that people send you for your podcasts and posts, don't you? I do. Yeah. You could literally just fall down the rabbit hole of her Instagram and you will learn so much information. It's so valuable. Um, one thing I want to talk to you before we about before we go, because I know a lot of people that listen to my podcast are entrepreneurs and they're business owners and they're hiring teams and they have people on their team. And like you said, attachment theory is not just in romantic relationships. It mm-hmm. applies in all relationships. So I'm trying to even think about how to ask this question succinctly. Um, how can, so I'll, I'll make it personal. So for me as a business owner, and I have employees that are working for me, how can I start to kind of understand and educate myself around the people who work for me's attachment style so I can better lead them? This is a great question. And it's something I think about a lot, actually, um, this relationship between attachment theory and how it can help us have better work lives. So glad we're talking about it. Um, I, I will say this, when, when we think about some of the core pieces here, it's really how can you feel appreciated, secure, and, you know, I'll even say loved, although I know it doesn't totally apply in work, but that, that sense of security, because what happens is when somebody feels secure as an entrepreneur or their, you know, their team feels secure, Mm -hmm. then they can go out and do great things, right? When, when we have a secure base, we're able to thrive. So your job as the leader or, you know, the, the CEO is to make sure that your people know that you're there you're reliable, you're consistent, you're stable, you value them and you care about how they feel and what their needs are. And you can help heal somebody's like, so, so somebody example, who's really anxious, they may need some more reassurance Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And then somebody who's avoidant, they may just, just go rogue. You don't hear from them for weeks. They're not doing their stuff. And you're like, what the hell dude? You know, and they really value autonomy. So they need to know that they're part of a team, but that you also respect their autonomy and you just have to talk about it. You have to talk about it. 
And I think too, like, especially thinking about like, whether it's the employee who's anxious or the employee who needs space and is more distant, I'm seeing for myself as a, as a business owner, I have to have those conversations with people. Like, how do you communicate? How, like, like, just like when you start dating somebody, you have to have the conversations about communication. If we have an argument, how do you like to have a, how do you like to argue? Yeah. Are you a texter? Do you not like to text? Do you like to talk on the phone? I think we have to have the same dynamic set up with employees. We do. Yeah. You have to be willing to meet them where they're at. Right. And, and have conversations where you say, Hey, I value you. I also value the business and how can we together create an environment for you where, you know, you feel appreciated and you also are able to go off and, you know, do, do your own thing independently. I'll, I'll talk about this concept interdependence sometimes, which is this idea of like, Hey, we have this great relationship together and I trust you to make decisions right? Like I, I trust, I trust you, um, to go and handle the thing that I've, I've given to you. And I trust you to come to me when, when you need to. So I think attachment theory is a great tool for just learning how to build that trust and what it looks like for each individual that you're working with. And it's time well spent anytime that you're, you're building that trust. I so agree with that. As I'm hiring on my team, I'm trying to develop that relationship with them and figure out what are their strengths? Like, what do they love to do? How do I connect with you? How do we communicate and work together well? Yeah. Cause even think about this, the anxious person, their, their biggest fear is abandonment in the workplace that's being fired. Right. So then what are they going to do? They're not going to come to you about things. They're going to be so afraid of what you're going to do that they won't tell you. And you don't want that mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> we do not want that. <laughs> no. No, that's so, so helpful. So tell the audience how, first of all, tell them how they can work with you. Tell them about your ESL program. Yeah. So I started the Empowered, Secure, and Loved Relationship Program because that's how we all want to feel in relationships. Um, and it's an eight week program for women designed to take you from wherever you are right now to securely attached and attracting the relationship that you really deserve. That's healthy. Um, and the best way to do, um, or to find out about that is to just go to my Instagram and go to the link in my bio. And there's, there's an apply now, um, you'll hop on a call with myself or my team and find out more that call really is just a way to find out more about the program. Um, and then, yeah, I know you already mentioned the podcast. I can't like stress the podcast enough. I love, I love putting out episodes and so much of it is about attachment theory. So I love your podcast. So good. I've like been on walks and have binge listened to episodes. Like when I'm dating, I'm like, help me, help me with my anxious attachment. you're so sweet I I love doing it um so yeah definitely check that out and come say hi on Instagram at Dr. Morgan coaching it's just Dr. Morgan coaching and I always love to to meet new people so send me a DM awesome we will also share all of Dr. Morgan's info and Instagram in the show notes as well so you can check that out 
thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Oh my gosh. Um, so You're so welcome. I had so much fun and you are just a gem. I'm so, so excited for you and so happy that we have met and can't wait to see all the things that are ahead for both of us. Thank you so much. If you guys love this episode, we would love it if you would take a screenshot, share it on your story, and don't forget to tag me and Dr. Morgan. I hope you guys have the best week and I will see you next week on the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved what you heard, I would be beyond thankful if you would share this podcast on your Instagram story and share with me what about the episode with me or with my guests that you loved. Also, please remember if you love this podcast to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss out on all of the incredible guests and topics that we have lined up for you during this crazy year. And as always, if there is ever a guest or a topic or anything you would like for me and a guest to discuss, just shoot me a DM on Instagram at Regina A. Lawrence. Lots of love, guys.